What's up? What's up? What's up? What's up, y'all? Thank you guys for tuning in to Trailblazer Radio. You guys could have been anywhere else, but you guys are right here with us. So we most definitely thank you guys for tuning in with us. As I always, as we always like to say, as we all like to say over here, thank you for uh, continuing to follow us on our various social media platforms, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, as well as as well as our website, www.trailblazerradio.net. Also follow us. Also take also follow us on our YouTube channel. We are on the road to 100 subscribers, and we would great and we would greatly appreciate you guys going to our YouTube channel, uh, YouTube channel Trailblazer Radio, and subscribing to subscribing to the channel. But only subscribe if you feel if you feel that the content that we bring to you guys is uh, relates to you or or so or it's content that you guys can uh, can. You know, you guys can get your rock with, okay? You know, so we are on the road to 100 subscribers, man. So thank you very much for that. Also, I want to also just let you guys know with, that I'm also a part of Diamond Star Entertainment. Um, with with my with my with my view with my sis Kai, Kai Rodriguez and Tony and Tony and T Way the Dragon, we're also on the road to 100 subscribers. So please go to our go 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 to that YouTube page, Diamond Star Entertainment. Um, and subscribe subscribe to that too we we uh, we got some great we got some content that's going to be coming out for you guys uh, so keep your eyes and your noses and ears to the ground for what we got going on man um also also follow also follow all also, also follow all the hosts on their various social media platforms uh clint jones uh coco fainted and and latanya harris good and also known as lhg on their social media on their various social media platforms also follow them here at trailblazer radio man we look this is this is what we do man this is what we do we podcast with a purpose and we and we and we when we make a we do we make an impact with every episode that we put out here so thank you guys so very much for your listenership and your viewership it means so much to us thank you thank you and so, without any further ado, um, you guys are tuned into the office alley with me, Frederick B. Um, I am waiting for my guest, Miss my guest of the evening, Miss Terry Brown, to come into the come into the studio. Um, I did reach out to her and let her know that it was showtime and that I was looking looking to see her. Looking to see her. Um, give me just a second. Let me let, let me give let me give her the correct link. So I do apologize for that. I think I may have given her the the wrong week. So give me a second. Real quick. I apologize. And while you guys are waiting, let me make sure that I gave it the right link or something of that nature. While you guys are waiting, there is something that I want to. Give me just a second here. I do apologize, guys. Let me let me reach out to my guest.
the well of well of talking guys i again i apologize um i want you guys to continue i want you guys to keep to continue to keep the failings of chris reese joshua butler and deshaun dubose continue continue to keep those families in your prayer um man this each one of these families have suffered a, a devastating loss and i want you guys to continue to keep their keep those families in, in your prayer um this is this is kind of, this has been kind of, this has been kind of a crazy 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 first couple of months to start out to start out the year um and these, and these, and these people that these people are these people are you know two of them are good two of them you know i know i know are good friends of mine um and one one has lost a son lost a son another lost a nephew Two or two ladies, two ladies have lost a son, another one lost a nephew. So please keep these back. Keep please keep these families in your prayers. Uh, you know, this is this is crazy. This is this has been a crazy, crazy thing. A crazy, crazy thing, crazy, crazy time. Uh, for you for these families and keep them in your prayers for such a and, and such for such a time like this. I think we I think we all need to come together and need to all come together and just pray for each other. Um, this has been a crazy, crazy time. So I uh, reached out to my guest to see if she may come, see if she may still want to come up, come aboard. But other than that, while you guys are waiting, well, I'm while I'm waiting, while I want to keep you guys, I want to keep you guys waiting. Well, let you guys know a little bit about who I am before we go any further. I am a as you guys know, I'm the CEO of Trailblazer Radio, but I'm also a published author with eight books to my credit, as well as eight books to my credit for those contributing, for those being contributed as a co-author, and for those I have written. So done a lot, done, done a lot, done a lot. I put in a lot of work as far as the author game. Um, I also do. I also I also I also do basic and basic editing and also basic formatting. So if there's any authors or aspiring authors out there who would like who would like to utilize who would like to tap in with me and, and so I can use for I utilize those for me to help you help you and help you edit or format your book, I can I'm most I'm most definitely available to most definitely available to do that with you and with and for you. Um, I have I have I have reasonable rates. Um, they're not they're not exorbitant or extra, extravagant. Um, I do have reasonable rates. So if you guys want to tap in with me on that, man, you guys can reach out to me on on our, you know, on my on our email address at trailblazerradio at gmail.com. Or if you want to reach out to me personally and, and speak with me about that, you guys can reach out to me personally um, on. Uh, 
or by other or by or by author's email, which is authorflb at gmail.com. And I'll make sure I put all those in the links. Um the other thing while I wait for my guests to respond to my email as well, look, y'all, my sister Coco Fenton. Um, if you if you guys tapped into the show that we had a couple of thir- a couple of Thursdays ago. I want you guys, if you didn't tap into that show, I want you guys to go in, go to go to our YouTube channel and watch and watch that show. Um my sis Latanya Harris Good had my had my sis, my my beautiful host Latanya Harris Good had my other beautiful host on this show, Miss Coco Fenton, and we were and we we talked a lot about her about her condition. We also talked about um the procedures that could that could help that could help her. That help save that can help save and preserve that help preserve her life. We also mentioned to you guys that that procedure is not was not is not is not a not is not cheap. So we do have a GoFundMe page out, GoFundMe page available for you guys. Um LSG, if you could be so kind to uh throw the throw the put the gun put the GoFundMe page in our chat in the um in the comments, um, I would appreciate that. Um, so there is a GoFundMe page. We are we are looking to raise money for our sister so she can have this procedure that can help for that can help save her life and also also not only save her life but also improve improve her quality of life. So look, so y'all, I would I really I really want y'all I really want y'all to tap in with tap into that. Um, what you guys? What you guys tap into that, man? If you and if you guys were watching, uh, watching, watching uh, the check-in over the over the last four weeks, there was a great. We had a great conversation. I had a great conversation with Miss Joy Dabo Katang, Katang, Joy Katang Dabo, and was her husband M Dabo. We were talking about postpartum depression. We talked about what it was. We talked about how it affects the woman. We also talked about how it affects the man. We also talked about how it affects the the children and the family as a whole. We also talked about resources, resources for women, women and families to tap into to get to get that help. So if you guys, if you guys missed that, make sure you guys tap into that. Um, the this first the first episode of the series started on February the first. And if you guys have been watching, my sister Tanya Harris Good, she has been literally killing it. And when I say killing it, I mean she's been really she's been literally killing it. Um, she's been, she's been, she's been a very dynamic. She's been a very dynamic host for for her, for this for this particular this uh, platform, um, and she's been in her girl her girl chat weekly conversations as well as her critical conversations, which airs on Friday, which airs on Saturdays, have been like game changers. Real has been literal have been literal game changers. Um, so if you guys so make sure you guys tap in to girl chat weekly. The girl chat weekly with my with my girl chat weekly and critical conversations with Latanya Harris. Good, don't, but also don't forget about my life as Destiny podcast with Quint Jones and Coco Fitz. And they've been they've been killing it as well with these with these wonder with these wonderful topics as well as well as they as well as as always they're both they're powerful and they're powerful Q and A's. Um, I can't tell y'all that there hasn't been a Q and A to where. Um, Especially the ones that I participated in, there hasn't been a Q and A that that hasn't deeply affected all of us. Um, especially the last Q and A that I was that I had that I had the pleasure of being with, being on with them. Whew, man, 
very powerful, very powerful. But don't forget, we all, we, we, we all, we all, we also come up, come as a, come as a collective too. Uh, if you guys have been watching, watching us, we, we've had a couple of episodes where we come up as collectives. We, the episode about what about your friends? We, we, we've all come in, we come in as collectives, as a collective on that. So, but do what, do what you can do. Look, we are a dynamic station. We're a dynamic, we're a dynamic platform. We have dynamic hosts. We talk about, we talk about stuff that a lot of people won't talk about. A lot of people refuse to talk about. A lot of people are afraid to talk about, but we, but we, we talk about that stuff. We address it. We, we, address, we, address, we talk about it. We address it head on. And we, we may, we make sure that this topic is thoroughly discussed. And if we don't, if we don't hit it off at one, if we don't hit it off at one episode, we, we break it, we break that down into parts. So, like I said, this is this is a dynamic platform, and I am I am I am very proud to be the. I'm very proud to be the CEO of this platform, this particular platform. I'm very, also very proud to be to have such dynamic people that are that are aligned with me. And when I say aligned with me, I mean they're they're to my left and my right. They're not behind me. Um, to be somebody that is a Someone who has a who owns a who has a plat- podcast platform, um, and to have these people walk beside me means a great means a great deal. It means a, it means a very means a great deal to me because these people could be, these people could have these people could have been anywhere else, but they choose but they choose to walk beside me, and I'm grateful for that. And I'm very very grateful for that. So that's a little so that's a little something I wanted, wanted you guys to know. Um, I'm still waiting for my um, for the individual for that for that individual to get back in contact with me. So with that being said, y'all, and you guys see the the GoFundMe page, the GoFundMe web web link is in the comments, y'all. So I want you guys to take a look at that. Go to that GoFundMe page and also, you know. Do me, do me a solid. You support, support this y'all. Support my sis by any, by any means, any means that you can. Um, no amount, no amount is too small. No amount is too small. And any amount you give helps. Um, and even if you cannot, even if you can't give, you can't give. Do me a solid, and if you can't give monetarily. You can get you can get with your support, and there's my guest right there. Give me just a, give me let me let me bring the let me bring this young lady on, man. So before I even before I even do that, man, let me just let me just introduce her first of all to the best of my ability, and I hope I hope I hope I don't I hope I don't I hope I don't screw this up. I hope I don't mess this up for you. I hope I don't mess this up. So this young this is this young lady reached out to me. We uh. We had we had a night we had a die we had a very nice dialogue. Um, she is a she is a historical fiction author. She's the author of a book. She is the author of a book um, called "An Enemy Like Me," which launched January twenty fourth of this year. She also has a debut novel, which is called "Sunflowers Beneath the Snow," which came out 
uh, this past January, and it chronicled three generations of Ukrainian women. Um, she is, wow, she is a historical fiction author, and she's someone that she's someone that I've been wanting to talk to for quite some time. So you know, let me introduce to let me introduce y'all to the picture. This young lady in the author's alley, man. Let me introduce y'all to Terry M. Brown. Hi, how are you today? Hey, I'm good. How are you? Sorry, I'm doing I great. I think I thought I may have given you the wrong link, but so I apologize for that. That's quite all right. Things happen. How you doing tonight? I am doing really well. How about yourself? I am doing excellent. Excellent. Thank you for being. Thank you for being on the show tonight. Um, I, again, I apologize. It might have been a miscommunication on my part, so I do apologize for that. Not a problem. So. I hope I did. I hope I did justice by you by that introduction. Yeah, anything that you say is good for me. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, and, I, and again, thank you so much for coming on tonight. I mean, I, you, you truly, you truly, uh, I'm, I'm truly honored, and I'm truly honored by your presence. Thank you so much. Thank so, you. Let's uh, let's let's jump, let's jump into this. Let's jump into this, man. Um, so. I noticed that you that you write historical fiction. That's correct. So I guess my question would be, what got you interested in historical fiction? Well, you know, I think it just kind of goes all the way back to I love to write. I've loved to write for a long time. But there's certain things that I do really, really well with writing. And there's certain things that I don't do so well. And being able to uh, get you to really get inside a character's head and feel that character and, and know what they're thinking. And, you know, that's where I really shine. When it comes to setting, I'm not nearly as good because in my mind, it doesn't matter. When I'm reading and someone maybe gives me four or five pages and they're telling me what a room looks like, I'm just skimming. Because I want to get back to the characters and find out what's going on. Well, the great thing about historical fiction is that it allows you, you know, they, that's a setting all by itself, right? So if you pick, um, for instance, I picked in Sunflowers Beneath the Snow, it was Soviet Ukraine. Well, the setting is there. All I had to do was research it and bring it out so that you would understand it. And then in An Enemy Like Me, it's World War II. And, and once again, all I have to do is good research and find those pieces that I want my audience, my, my readers to understand. And I didn't have to make that up. It was already there for me. So I think that's one of the reasons. And then the other reason is, is I absolutely love to research. So wow. yeah, my kids call me Google mom because whenever <laughs> you know, we'll be sitting around in a big, you know, family group and the kids will say, um, you know, I wonder if, or I wonder what, and then they, they don't really argue, but they start back and forth like, well, I think, and I think, and I just pull up my phone and Google it. And it's like, there's really no reason to, to wonder when you have, you know, all of this technology literally sitting in your hand. Let's just find the answer. So they call me Google mom. And I tell everybody else that that what I do now is I use a hashtag called research junkie. And I think that sounds a little better than Google mom. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that. Research junkie sounds, 
sounds quite sounds quite appropriate. Even Google Bar sounds even sounds appropriate. <laughs> so, was this something that you had always wanted to write about, or were you, or did you want, or or were you like wanting to write in a different genre besides it? Uh, or better yet, before you answer that question, who, what author, if there was any author, inspired you as far as your writing journey is concerned? Well, so wow, that's a lot of questions. Whoo. <laughs> It's a little late for so many questions at once. I know, right? Um, yeah. No, so when I was very young, I used to think that I wanted to be a children's author. But I think that's because that was the, the books that were aimed at me. I didn't understand that there would be other books that I'd ever be interested in, right? Because, you know, when you're an eight-year-old, you never assume you're going to read those boring adult books. Um, right. So I always thought that I wanted to be a children's author. Um I would say that the first real author that inspired me was John Steinbeck. And the reason is that I read, uh, I think, The Grapes of Wrath in high school. And it was the first time that I read a book for more than entertainment. You know, prior to that, everything I read was just because I wanted to read it. It was just for fun. I never thought about what did the author mean or what were the themes in this book or anything. I just read for the sheer joy of reading. And that is the first book that I read that made me realize that there was a lot more to literature. That, yes, you could still read for an enjoyment. It's not that that was going away, but that there was a lot more you could find in literature. And that there were... There were stories, there were, there were lessons, there were things that the author was trying to impart. And I, th I found that just amazing that there, was, that there were all these layers to what was actually being said. Um, so I think that was probably the first one. And then the next one that I read that really was like my next big influence, which is really crazy because it's not my genre at all. And it really isn't even the genre I enjoy reading, but I read some Kurt Vonnegut. And I think oh, wow. the, re yeah. And I think the reason that that struck me was because it was so vastly different from anything I had ever read before. And I found it fascinating to kind of delve into these worlds that were so different from anything that I had personally experienced or ever read about. And the idea that as an author, or really as a person, that you could expand yourself beyond the limits that you had always had before was, was really exciting to me. So I read quite a few things of his. Like I said, I'm not really into the science fiction genre to, to read or write, but that period of time really kind of expanded my thought process about like what's possible, what is oh, out yeah. there. So, yeah. I like that. I like that. And I guess, you know, to kind of even expand on it a little bit, I mean, I know my, my initial inspiration for writing comes from, came from comic books, you know, so I was really, I love the writing of Stan Lee. Um, and there's so many other writers that I like, like, you know, Brian Michael Bendis, you know, Neil Gaiman. So those guys were my inspiration. But then as I got older, I started reading, you know, works of Tom Clancy, um, Dean Coots. Um, hell, I, I read, I read a couple of Jackie Collins novels. Like I said, isn't it great to kind of like stretch a little beyond what you normally touch and you see things 
you just see things a little differently. Um, recently, I've started reading some memoirs, which I wouldn't have thought would be anything I'd be interested in. And I have found them to be exceptionally fascinating. And I, I love to see how they take their, their story, which is real, and create it in a way that makes me want to read it and still become the character, despite the fact that I know that this is a real person and, and this is their life. The fact that they can express themselves in such a way that, that I become them momentarily is really fascinating to me. Man, I love that. I love that. And when we talk about historical fiction, <clears throat> we know we're talking about something that's, that's based, that's historically true, but you there's a there's a you weave fiction around it. What 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 on what different what difficulties are there any difficulties in how you weave that story around true events? Yes, yeah, so I guess it depends a lot. There are a lot of historical fiction authors who don't feel that they have to remain historically accurate at all times. I I'm not that I, I feel that you do. To me, if you're writing historical fiction, the historical part needs to be real. The fiction part is my character is fiction. Or we know very little about my character, and so I'm allowed to fictionalize those pieces that, that there is no history to tell. You know, for instance, there might be, you know, uh, the wife of a character or, you know, a wife of someone, and, and all you have is a name. And you really don't have any other information. Well, I'm allowed to fictionalize from that point. But still, I have to do that within the confines of what's going on in history at that time. So in An Enemy Like Me, um, in 1939, I have the main character, Jacob. He is getting ready for a date. Um, he is a nervous wreck because this woman, he, he knows this is, this is the, the woman of his dreams and she's way out of his league and he's, he's just nervous and he's getting ready for this date. And I thought, okay, I want him to, to like be really trying to be fancy. And then it was like, so I'm going to have him put Brill cream in his hair. And then I stopped and I thought, I know Brill cream was around during world war two, but was it around in 1939? So I wow. looked it up. And it, and it was, it came out in the late 20s and it became really popular in the mid 30s on through up through the 60s. People were still putting Brill cream in their hair. Wow. But, but my point was, is I didn't want to put Brill cream in his hair and then find out that it wasn't invented for three years. You know, so I always try to, you know, if I'm going to use a product, I make sure that that product really existed. Same book, I have him listening to a radio show um when the pearl harbor announcement came on you know oh, when they wow. announced right so i i found out well what time of day did they announce the pearl harbor bombing and what could have been playing on the radio at that time and wow. that's the show that i put on there so that it it was accurate that is the kind of thing that would have been interrupted wow so so your research is, is very extensive I really like, like I said, I really like the historical part to be accurate because when my readers are in it, I don't want something to jar them out of it. I don't want them to be going along and think, well, that doesn't make sense or that that isn't 
I don't think that happened during that period of time. <laughs> and so I want that part to be as accurate as possible. Then I always put the caveat in there. The historical accuracy is only as good as the research I've been able to do. You know, and so it could be that it's historically accurate as far as I know now, but it's very possible that someone could show me information that I did not know about, and then I'll find out that it isn't as historical as historical as I thought it was. You know, so I always put the caveat in there that, you know, I can only do, you could research and research and research and then continue to research and research some more and you would never get your book done because you would keep delving and diving and delving. So at some point you have to say, this is as accurate as it needs to be for the novel that I'm producing. Right, gotcha. Now, your main character now, is, now, is, now does he eventually become a soldier? Yeah, so he is a first-generation German-American. Uh, so his parents were from Germany. They came to the United States, and he was born. Um, he marries the love of his life. They have a child, and um, Japan bombs Pearl, Pearl Harbor. And, you know, essentially the war comes knocking at the door. And his first thought, of course, is, is that he needs to become a soldier, which was the first thought of a good number of young men as soon as they found out that, that uh, Pearl Harbor had been bombed. But his wife felt very differently. You know, hey, wait a minute, you have me and you have a son and there are things that you can do for the war effort right here at home and you don't need to be the one going. There are plenty of, of single young men that can go. But eventually, he recognizes that there is a lot of um, fear about German-Americans. And he also recognizes that there are German-Americans who are being put in internment camps because people believe that they're too German, that they have too many connections in Germany, that they might be Nazi sympathizers. And he decides that the best way to keep his family safe and to prove his allegiance is to become a soldier. But he believes he's going to fight the Japanese. So in his mind, you know, that's an enemy he can get behind, right? They look different than right. him. They sound different from him. They eat different foods. Everything's different. He ends up fighting in Germany. Wow. And he recognizes that he's more like the enemy than he is different from the enemy. And so we really explore that from the soldier's point of view. But we also look at it from his wife, Bonnie's point of view, and his son, William, who's four years old. And then we also look at it as William as an adult who's reflecting back and thinking about how war changed him and his life and his father. That is an interesting perspective to go by, you know, to, to speak on it from that perspective. You know, this guy's a first-generation, um, first-generation German-American, and you know, he he hears he he gets that he hears that he hears that about Pearl Harbor in 1941. Naturally, his first natural natural um, inclination is to want to go enlist, but then you know you have the consternation from the wife because hey, look, you have you got a you have being a young child here. You can't you're not gonna you can't do that. There are other right. things you can do. But then his thought process is, well, I'm, well, since it's Japan, I'm going to go fight the Japanese. So that's not a that's not a bad that's not a big thing. They don't look like me. They don't talk like me. They don't act or sound like me. And I'm pretty. And then he goes. Then he goes back to the country, Germany, his or his his parents' origin. Exactly. And you know what's crazy about that is is 
you know, he's one generation away from being on the other side of that war. Had his parents not moved to the United States, he would have been born in Germany. He would have been fighting for Germany instead. And it, and it really makes you think, or what I hope readers begin to think is like, what is an enemy and how do we, how do we create these enemies or even, even us's and them's, you know, as a, as a human race, we have this, this terrible habit of breaking people up into groups. And there's those that are like us and those that are different from us and those that are different from us, we usually fear, you know, and because we fear them, then we have the ability to, to do horrific things. Because, yes. you know, out of fear, we'll, we'll put them in prisons and we'll, we'll round them up and we'll do, you know, we do things, right? Well, yes. what if you start looking at it in terms of the way Jacob had to look at this enemy when he recognized, like, what is the difference between them and me? And so in, in our society today, what would happen instead of focusing on the differences if we focused on things that made us the same? Yes. And how much harder would it be to have an enemy if you recognized all the similarities that you had with that person versus the things that, that would separate you. Yep. We're no different than the things that differentiate, that differentiate us. Right. And that is, that's an interesting dichotomy to look at. And just to know that he, now that he's in the, the his country of origin to where his parents came from and he has to face down people face he's, he's only a first generation, like you mentioned. So he's facing people, just like him just like him and, um, and i and i i gotta i gotta think that there's an internal and emotional conflict going on with that yeah there is and it's interesting this story came to my mind because my family is german-american um right. we lived in the united states though for oh boy 200 years before world war ii nonetheless my grandfather fought in the war and he ended up in germany and he rarely spoke of the war. But one time when I was a teenager, he said to me, I always wondered if the person on the other side of my gun was a cousin. Wow. And that really stuck with me. It really made me recognize the angst that a person can go through when they're, they're forced into this kind of conflict with, with other people, especially if you find that you can relate to these other people. That's, that's got, that's gotta be an emotionally jarring moment just to know the person you cited down, you, you cited down and you're about to take out could possibly, could possibly be a relative. Right, right. And this was, this was several generations removed, but so in my book, I made it much more poignant by putting them just one generation away. The truth is, is the people on the other side of Jacob's gun could very easily be a cousin. Jeez. And so that's kind of the thought process. And then, like I said, I hope my readers really try to look at, well, what would you do and how would you handle it? And how necessary is having an enemy in today's world? You know, Ooh, is it yeah. is it necessary? And maybe yeah. it is during wartime, but is it necessary, say in your everyday life and how important is it to have us's and them's and how do it's we not. get rid of yeah and how do we get rid of that idea 
Um, so my husband and I rode across the United States from the coast of Oregon to Washington, D.C. on a tandem bicycle. So wow. 3,102 miles on a tandem bicycle, right? And we did that in the summer of 2020. And as we rode across the United States, we met people of all walks of life. You, let me tell you, everybody, different socioeconomic statuses come from different places, different religions, different, different races, different um, sexual orientations, different political affiliations, you name it, we met it. Do you know what's interesting? We were able to get along with absolutely everyone we met. And do you know why? Because and people would stop, we would start to talk, and we would begin to focus on those things that were in common. People would say, where are you from? They'd say, oh, I was in North Carolina once, or I did this, or, you know, I rode my bike on a, or whatever it was, and we would find a connection. It might even be something as simple as, oh, I have kids too. I mean, you know, and as soon as you found that connection, any of those other things that might have separated us really didn't matter. You know, I didn't, yeah, like you and I, if you and I are having a conversation, I'm not going to start it by asking you a list of questions to see whether or not we're compatible. We're going to find something that we click with. For you and I, it's books. And right away, we start talking books. And does it matter at all what my religion is? Nope. Okay, it never even came up. And so that's, so that's kind of my point is, you know, maybe it's a little bit, you know, naive to think that this can happen. But I really think that if we'll get out and meet people one-on-one and focus on those things that, that make us alike, that the differences that, that people want to focus on really kind of fall away and become irrelevant. And the more you do that, the more people you meet, the less the us and them matters. Yeah. And I think, you know, in, like I mentioned, the common, our commonalities bring us together. Exactly. Because at the end, at the end of the, at, when it's all said and done, and this is something I've said in a couple of a couple of, a couple of platforms and a couple of other rooms that I've been in, just when we talk about stuff like this, we the one thing the one thing that brings us all together is the things the things that we stand common on common ground about. It's the differences that make those kind of that negate those commonalities because we, because when you look at your differences you're never going to see the common stuff that we share exactly exactly and so and, i think that this book helped people kind of explore that but in a really safe way because you're exploring it while reading a book so that means you're by yourself it's in your head you know, and you can kind of take on different characters and get a feel for like, what would I think and how would I do it? And and it can help you kind of explore these kinds of concepts of like xenophobia and those kinds of things in a way that's very safe, where there isn't anyone on social media who's going to scream at you because of an, an initial thought or an initial reaction where you can right. kind of like explore and, and determine and come to terms with you know, who you are and, and what things that maybe you would like to change or, or to, you know, tinker with a little, you know, and that's why I love literature is it allows you to really try on different things and explore concepts that maybe 
are a little bit, you know, almost scary to do in public. Like you wouldn't want to, you wouldn't want to put it out there on your social media because, you know, you could just be hammered, but boy, in a book, you can do it. And I really love that. Yeah. I love that about literature. Me too. I mean, and I think for me, especially with the things that what it's up, the things that I write about, you know, I just, I never thought about writing. I never came to writing a book about domestic violence or mental health or never, never in the, in the forefront of my mind. Honestly speaking, back that they weren't even in the back of my mind, but these things are out there now. Right. And right. People look at it like, you wrote that? Well, did, did you? And, did it, and the next question they always ask, well, did you have an experience like that? Yes, I did. Loosely, and I tell folks that it's loosely based on my own personal experiences. So and they look at me like, you? Yeah, me. You and I think and the way I look at people don't think that certain things or certain experiences can't happen to you. Right. Right. Why you why did they look they give me that funny look like? Right? Well, and I think the other thing is is that people have an idea of what someone is or looks like if they've if they've been um, a victim of something like they have this idea in their head. Right. Um, you know, I, I come across as a very strong woman and I lived for 14 years in an emotionally abusive relationship and right. it was horrible. And it's, it's very, people look at me and say you, and it's like, yeah, but you don't understand. It doesn't just, it doesn't just go from everything's good to everything's bad it it happens in this gradual way and before long you're trapped and you didn't even know you got there and then and then by the time you recognize that you're trapped you don't even believe there's anything you can do about it anymore it's just it's a very insidious kind of thing so there isn't there isn't a face there isn't a person or a personality or a you know it's very it goes across the board and so, exactly. yeah, I think that's yeah. a, yeah, I think that's a, a great topic to write about. Well, and, I, I'm, and I'm intrigued by your, by any of you like me, I'm, all, I'm intrigued really often just from talking about it. Because the more I think about your main character, the more I think about his mental and his emotional state. And I'm wondering if just from being in that environment and just knowing that if he's, Anybody he cites down could be a relative of his. Like I said, I, I you have to wonder about that person's emotional and mental state, how and, and whether it you know when if that deteriorates as he's continuing to fight on this front. And then and then how does he resolve it? And yeah. how does how does he come home? How does he come home to his wife and his child? when he has this knowledge that he was shooting down people just like them, you know, like, how do you come home from that? And so the the book also really looks at this idea of, you know, the PTSD type thing that happens to soldiers who see things that then they have to come home and figure out what to do with. And the other thing it looks at is how does war affect families, those left behind. And, you know, we often look at war and we say, okay, so war was from a particular year to a particular year, and then the war is over. 
Right. Except that it's not over for those who lived it. And, exactly. and it can be generations. Because in this story, you look, Jacob left when his son William was four years old. He was gone for two full years. During those two years, little William did not have a father. Okay? He didn't have his dad there to hug him, to teach him, to love him. He didn't have any of those things. And during World War II, it's not like they were Skyping. Okay, he wow. didn't hear from his dad sometimes for months on end. And when he did, it would be a letter. And sometimes that letter would be all scratched out where he wasn't allowed to say certain things because they had, you know, gone through and gotten rid of some of what he wrote. Right. Yeah. And so then when dad comes home, William, who's now six, expects daddy to be the same man who left. But Jacob isn't the same man who left because he's seen things now. And this Jacob has to figure out how to become a dad again. And it changes things, which means when William, who was the four-year-old, now the six-year-old, is now an adult man and married and having his own children, how he fathers is different than it would have been if his father had been with him that whole time. Which means it's generational. Wow. Right? Yeah. And so that's the idea, you know, too, is, is that war war isn't a period of time that's when the actual government fighting part happens but it isn't the whole war so yeah, I'm, and i'm amazed i'm amazed about what you said because you because you're looking at it from every aspect of it you're looking at it from the person who experienced this standpoint but then you're also looking at it from the people who are directly affected exactly and I can, you know, I, I mean, I'm a veteran myself. I didn't, I never, I didn't serve in the theater of combat, you know, but my brother, my brother did. Um, my father and my uncle, my uncle's, my, my uncle served in Vietnam, and my father never talked about any of that to me. No, nope. of course, of course, I saw it all on PBS and the History Channel and things of that nature. So that was my, that was my. That was the picture that was painted for me. But but if you think about it now, you know, the man that was your father was a different man than he would have been had he not had those experiences. Right. So so whatever kind of father he was to you was different than it would have been had he never been in the military and never seen the things that he saw, right? right. Which means that who you are was shaped by that war, even if you weren't around for it. Right. Basically, an unintentional or unintended victim. Exactly. Exactly. And then, I don't know, do you have children? Um, yes. Okay. So, the kind of father you were was affected by the kind of father your father was, right. which was affected by the war. Which means that your children were also affected by the war that your father fought in. It's a trickle-down effect. Yes, trickle and, effect. And, and eventually that, that effect, you know, gets smaller and smaller and smaller. But my point is, is that that war that lasted from, you know, whatever year to whatever year and a person was in it for, you know, two years or four years or whatever, that isn't the end of that. 
It isn't the end of it for them when they come home and they have either PTSD or, or other issues from the war. And it isn't the end for their family who has to learn to live with someone who's now very different than he was when he left or she when she left, right. you know, or, you know, and then and then, like I said, how the parenting worked and, and then the next generation and the next generation. So it's a it's a generational thing, which is another, you know, thing that I really look at in this book. Wow. Just a, just a, and I'm, I'm just imagining to see it from, like I said, I see it from his perspective. I also see it from the son's perspective. And, and, the, and his wife's perspective. As, as she's trying to juggle all of life now and be, be everything to everyone when she relied so much on her husband prior to that. Wow. And, and, just, and, and like that, and I know from, from personal experience, I mean, I have, Jedi has guy. I know I know guys who are ex-military, so we talk. Mm-hmm. We have our circle and we talk about this, that, and the third. We mostly talk about, you know, life and the challenges that it presents now that all of us are separated out. And we we talk about our experiences. The, the one thing, the, the one common thing, the one common ground that I find is that even though we've served in different branches, a lot of our experiences almost mirror each other and, uh, and i found that i found that crazy but also found it interesting and then when we talk about other things such as our our adjustment periods where we, each one of us separated out how we adjusted and how things were how things were different when we came when we got when we came out and with the things that we like how the things that we saw carry over carried over into our personal lives exactly and and so the things that you experienced how they affected those people that you then were you know had relationships with in one way or another and and how that changed all of that and it does and i think like i said it's just one of those things that a lot of people don't especially if they've never been in the military or or had to deal with any kind of a conflict at all they they don't recognize that the hardships that it causes for for everybody not just the soldier but for anyone who loves that soldier and who was worried about that soldier and yeah. who who you know or in or for children even for children whose um a parent was deployed even if they weren't necessarily fighting that child is going to be changed because that parent was not there with them exactly you know and so there's just there's just so many there's so many aspects to this idea to kind of look at and and this book explores some of that wow it is it is a nice a, from what it sounds like it's a nice very it's a, it's a nice and very exploration it's and i'm still thinking about your main character i'm still thinking about your main character jacob and I'm thinking about uh, and I'm and I'm thinking about him because, again, I'm. He's. I think that he's someone that a lot, a lot, a lot of people will be able to identify with. Not not only from from not not only from the standpoint of coming back home and adjusting to life, to quote unquote normalcy. Right. But. I think a lot of folks who are a lot of veterans like myself can we can identify with him because you go you 
you go, you you start you start off in one place. You know, first you're a civilian, now you're enlisted, and now you're trained up, and now you now you go off to this theater of combat, and you've been in this theater of combat for X amount of years or X amount of months. Now all of a sudden, this conflict is over, and now you come home, and it's like people know you, but they don't know you. And I'm like, people like they, they know you and they don't know you, and they're like, well, and they ask you, who the hell are you? Uh, I'm still Frederick, I'm still the same person. Nothing's changed. Nah, you're different. <laughs> you're different, brother. And I really think Jacob is somebody like, yeah. I can I can identify with him, and I think a lot of people who read this book will identify with him. You know, you know, the now, when you create these characters, are you are you looking at history, looking at their history, or are you looking at um, how they fit, how they would fit in the history? Oh, you're muted. Oh, good. Okay, I don't know how that happened. All of a sudden, I could. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. Um, would you repeat the question? I was so freaked out that I couldn't be heard that I didn't wasn't listening. So I didn't hear the question. So were you when you create your characters, such as Jacob, do you create them um, outside of the outside of the history, or do you create that character within the history and how he could fit in the history? You know, I think that it's probably within the history, the character, I have characters that live in my head, which I know sounds crazy and probably means I should be medicated and all kinds of things. But <laughs> my characters, my characters talk to me, but it's, it's like they know where they belong. And so the things that they're telling me fit into the history that I'm going to put them into. So when a character comes to, to mind, you know, when Jacob began really telling me this is the story that needs to be told, I knew that it was going to be told in World War II. And so I think that, that he, the things that, that come to me for him come in that genre, in that era, because that's where he's supposed to be. Um, right now I'm writing uh, a historical fiction and it's a woman, her name is Maggie, and she is a healer, a folk healer. Um, she lived in the Appalachian Mountains of North Carolina and the women that did that were called granny women. So she's a granny woman. And, um, but I knew from the beginning that her name was Maggie and that she was in the 1890s. And so immediately like in my mind when i hear her speaking she speaks like a woman in the north carolina mountains in the 1890s you know she she drops certain letters and she's her her speech is not um doesn't sound like someone who was college educated and all of the other things do you know what i'm saying and so right. i think that i do kind of create them within that context of where i know they're going to be and and that's how i get their story so wow I like that. And I like how you, you create them where to where they fit in the history and they don't 
they don't overlap it or override it. No, no. Um, and they also, though, don't listen to me. So if I put them in the wrong place, they would let me know. Um, I tried, I tried very hard writing from a, uh, outline, um, having kind of, I know how this story is going to go. And then my characters refuse to follow along and absolutely say, well, no, I'm not going to do that. And it's like, yes, but that's where, that's what we're going to do. And they're like, you'll have to do it without me. Cause I'm not going there with you, you know, okay. and <laughs> yeah, not, not happening. And so, um, I tell people there's two real two main ways to write and one is a plotter where they you know plot everything out and have an outline and and kind of follow along and the other is a pantster and that's someone who writes by the seat of their pants and i'm that person and so i just start writing um in this in this last manuscript that i'm working on i have about three chapters left now but i was fifty-eight thousand words into it before i knew how it was going to end wow I had no idea. I kept thinking, oh, I hope it comes to me soon. (laughs) (laughs) I've written a lot of words not to have an ending. Um, But what was really crazy, yeah, what was really crazy is is that I had come to a, a point in the book where something very difficult needed to happen. And I, I just didn't want to write it. And so I let the manuscript sit for like six weeks and I kept hoping that an alternative to this, this scene would, would come to me and it wouldn't, there, there was no other way. This had to happen. I even, I talked with my husband about it at length, trying to come up with, you know, like what else could happen here? And it just, nothing was working. So I finally wrote the difficult scene on a Saturday. Uh, and then I stopped. It was like, as soon as I was done with that scene, there was no more. I mean, it was like, Oh, that was so hard. The next day I started writing and it was like, it was like everything opened up and I knew how it was going to end. I knew everything that I needed to know. And it was like, oh, I just had to get that, that scene done so that we could move forward. And then it was like, now I know exactly how it's going to end. And it's been so much easier to write because it's like, oh, now I know where I'm going, everything, you know, and it's time to be wrapping up the book. And so I'm, I'm wrapping things up and it's just working so well, but I was 58,000 words into an 80,000 word book before I had any clue where I was going to take it in the end. And those emotional scenes are so difficult to they are and and i think that yeah they're difficult because like i put i put me and what i understand about life and the world and emotions into it and if it's beyond something that i've experienced then i do the well i know what it feels like to do this so what would it feel like if it were a little worse and then a little worse and 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 i i go through it like I'm experiencing it in my mind as I'm trying to to create the whatever the character is feeling. And when you get done, you're just exhausted because it's like, you know, you just lived this this really horrible. I mean, it's it's not oh, I so didn't want to write it. <laughs> I, I, I understand. I mean, I'm, I'm with you on that because I know with, when I wrote my first two books, they were, they were and it's like I said, when I, the, the stuff that I was talking about, like domestic violence and mental health, these are these are very very touchy subjects for some right. people, and 
to write these to write these scenes. And I know with the second book, there were several emotionally charged scenes. And I'm like, do I want to write this or do I just want to just sit on this? So I wrote it. Then all of a sudden, wave of emotion hits like boom. Just just like you when you wrote your difficulty. I'm like, you know what? Let me go sit over here in this corner and start boohooing. Right. You have to experience it. You have to kind of let it do what it's going to do inside of you. Yeah. And then you can move forward. And then, like I said, then all of a sudden it was like, oh, this is obviously. Ha- I mean, it it was like like a dark, dark tunnel all of a sudden opened up. You could see the, the light at the end of it. Everything was making sense. You could see green trees out there. It was like, oh, now I know how we're going to end. But yeah. it, but we had to get through that that dark piece. We had to get, you know, we had to get totally immersed in that tunnel with with it being not being able to see either end. And then once yeah. I finally did it, then it was like, ah, now we can go on. Now we can have go. the rest now of the book. Continue. Yeah, yeah. Now, are are you the type of writer that once you're done, once once it's done, once once your character stops talking to you, you're done. It's done. Yeah. So typically. I'm having to write a little differently right now. My husband is ill and um, he was diagnosed with brain cancer in June. So it's been a, it's been a very difficult journey the last several months. Normally when I write, I, I go away. I spend like a two weeks away at a writer's retreat and I will get the entire first draft of the story out on paper, out of my mind and out. It's not good. It's not, it's not, ready to be seen by anyone, but the story is now on paper. I usually then let it sit for a little while. And then I go back and I do some really major edits because when you just, I call it word vomit. And when you just let it all out like that, it's not well, well, it's not, and it's not super well-written. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of words that you didn't worry about wordsmithing and picking good choices and, you know, you started every sentence with he, 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 and you know, you can't do that. And so you have to go back and do some pretty major editing, but I get that story out of me. Then I I usually take a week or two at another retreat and I do major edits. And then I am ready to turn it into someone who can help me do the refining work and, and, you know, find an editor who will work with me to, to really fine tune it. Well, this time I haven't had a two week retreat. So I've been writing it at home in my office in little spurts of time. So it's, a, right. it's been a harder process this time for me because it's not, it's not the way I normally work. Um, but I'm, I feel really blessed. I'm going to be able to go on a two week retreat in March and I'm going to do my editing that way. So I still have to get this book finished so that I can edit it. And it's like, Oh, I'm running out of time. (laughs) I I know with me, I don't, I don't, I don't put myself on a timetable. However, with the last two books that I wrote, I did put myself on a timetable. Because I wanted to be able to get what I was, all the thoughts that I was feeling, not all the thoughts that I had out, and I wanted right. everything to flow and make sense. Now, writing a chapter, writing a poetry book is different than writing a chapter novel. Because with that, you can just—I mean, still have to edit, still have to format things of that nature. But I know for me, it was a lot more of a. The process was different. Because it is different. Because now it's like now I'm not focusing on characters or anything. Now it's just me. 
and my thought process and my thoughts and right. my thoughts and my emotions. It's not like I'm just throwing every throwing anything together or trying to find how characters can relate to each other. Right. Either that nature or how I, how I can get how can I get X character to get along with Y character without without either one of them trying to tear each other's heads off. Well, and, and how can you get them from point A to point B in a way that that makes sense and your readers are going to want to follow along? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So there's a lot of there's a lot of back and forth and twists and turns that have to happen, and it's it yeah it can be really challenging. But oh yeah, well, I love it. I really enjoy has, the the process. Your book, so. your book has three characters or three right. main characters. Right. Do you do you have what's the do you have any difficulty trying to make sure that each character is unique and also relatable. Yeah. So this is interesting um, with an enemy like me, like I said, it's from Jacob, Bonnie, and then their son, William. But I also have William as an adult man looking back. And my editor, when she got hold of it said, you don't need the adult William. I was like, what? Absolutely need the adult William. Right. She was she was adamant. And so what she had me do was pull the adult William out and put him into his own document and read it. And she said, you're going to find out he doesn't have a, a story arc. He's flat. And she was right. And I went back and and I felt she was wrong about not needing him. I felt that I had not done him justice. So I went back and wrote him stronger. And because I wrote him stronger, when she read it the second time, she said, oh, yeah, I like it now. So I've learned a really valuable tool, which I'm going to use whenever I do from many points of view, is pull those people kind of out into their own document and read it and see, are they strong enough on their own? Are they valuable as they are? Because if not, you need to do one of two things. You either need to just get rid of them and not make them such a major character, like they could have a little a little role, but they're not a main character. Or you're going to have to beef them up enough that that they do have a story arc and that they that they are unique enough and that they do have a voice and that they do grow and go somewhere and become or move the story forward or whatever. And if you, you know, so you have a choice, you got to figure out which way you're going to go with that. And I love that tool. I think it was amazing that she, she helped me with that. Wow. I like that. Cause I know for me, my first book has the it's four characters and all their stories interconnect because right. there's one central hub. And it was really, really difficult for me to kind of, I, would, I had no problem with making each one unique. Right. I didn't have a problem with that. What I have, what I had a problem was with making each one of them strong enough to stand out, to stand on their own, right, yeah. right. So they, so it's that arc, that idea of, of if the story was only about that character, would it survive? Exactly. And and that's kind of where you have to go is you recognize that the strength of that character, of course, the the book is going to be strengthened by the other characters, but. But if you only had that one character, if that was the only character your readers were getting, is it a strong enough, good enough character? Right. Oh, and then yeah. you have to kind of work work to make sure that it is. That yeah. if it were a short story, that that character was sufficient. And then you have right. to do that with each one. Yeah. Right. And I know for me, my difficulty was, so I'm a male, so I'm, so I'm used to writing, so I'm, so I'm, I won't say I'm used to, but 
I can write about a male character because I'm a male because I can relate because I can really I can be relational with that. Right. Writing a writing a writing a female character was my challenge. Yes. So so in an enemy like me, I wrote a male, a female, and a child. And so that that's pretty that's pretty intense. Um, but you know what I realized is. I think men and women were, I mean, we're very different, but when it comes to emotions and we might express them differently, we might say different things about them, but what we're feeling, if we could get down to that cellular level and just you feel what I feel and I feel what you feel, I suspect it's really close. It's yeah, just what we're cool. saying about it is different. How we respond is different, you know? Um, women are more likely to to cry men are more likely to get angry you know and it doesn't mean that men never cry and women never get angry but you know you have to kind of look at like what would be the most likely response for this man in this situation right you know um and and it's okay to occasionally have him do something that is like out of character because as humans we do that right you right. know but but you have to also be careful that you're not writing a man who's essentially a woman with a man's name. You know, you have to be exactly. careful that, you know, and the other way around. You know, you don't want all of your characters, all of your female characters to feel very masculine. It's okay to have a masculine female character, but they can't all be that way. Like exactly. you've, you've got to be able to diversify it enough that that they have they have who they are. Yeah. And I, so. man, I had to. I, I asked. I asked a couple of friends. A couple of friends of mine. I even asked a couple of cousins because because I, I was having to read it, the rough manuscript that I had, and one of them immediately said, "You you need you need to you need to make you need to give this give one of our female characters more meat more meat on her bones because you maybe she's she's she sounds and she looks she sounds and she feels robotic. I'm like, you gotta you gotta explain that one to me." She said, you writing her as if she has no emotion. And you said, you can't write her from a male's perspective. You got to write her from a female's perspective. Yeah, you have to kind of look at it from the women that you know in your life. If they were experiencing something like this, what do you see? Right. And then, and then once you realize what you see, then you have to take it a step further and say, based on what I see, what do I suppose they're feeling? What are they right. thinking? What's going through their mind right now? What's the next thing they're going to do because of this thing they're feeling and seeing, you know? And so you have to kind of go that way. So I had to be very careful when I was writing Jacob as a as a soldier because I've never been in the military and I I've never been a man. And so, <laughs> you know, trying to do a a soldier in a war situation, you know, he can't be like me. You know, I'd run screaming and crying and run behind a tree, you know, and that that can't be. And right. so what what is it? What would you do? How would that be? So, you know, you have to kind of channel that other piece of you and say, OK, so now I'm I'm a soldier and I'm in the war and I've been trained and I know what my job is and I'm experiencing this horrible realization that I'm like mm. the enemy. And now what do I do? Yeah, it's, you know, 
I think so. But I think so. I think for me, it was easier when they told me told me that, but they also gave me those tips and those pointers, and it was easier for me to put myself in those shoes and be like, okay, now I can now I see how how what how this how this person will react to this, right? You know, how they react? How do we? How do we react in their mind, but also emotionally and mentally? So I'm like, okay, that's easy. And it was easier for me to write, you know, those female characters. I mean, one of my one of the female characters was was very difficult to write because of the myriad of experiences that I wrote that I wrote to that I wrote for her. Right, right. Like, I have no idea how I'm going to do this, but I'm going to do it. But in the one thing I did want to ask you, so and 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 sometimes I I I have difficulty with this. When we were talking about creating our characters, and you know building our characters from the tip, whatever templates that we use, you know whether it's you know I, some of us you know, I know I did I didn't I know I didn't use a generic template when I created my characters. I kind of put a little bit of me in each one of them. Right. Right. So do I. <laughs> How easy or how difficult is it to humanize your characters? You know, for me, that's one of the things that I would say if I had to pick what is the thing I do the best, that's what I do the best. I tell people that although I write historical fiction right now, um, what I really write is character-driven fiction. And that's, that's that ability to write a character that people want to go with pretty much whatever setting you've put them in that the readers who are reading my books although often like historical fiction I hope when I write my rom-com idea that they'll come along with me on the ride because they know they're going to enjoy the character so characters for me are the easy part setting very difficult for me. <laughs> the, the thing that, that's always amazing in an enemy, uh, not an enemy like me, in Sunflowers Beneath the Snow, I realized when I was done writing that I had not described the three main characters at all. Wow. Because in my mind, it didn't matter. What difference did it make what color their hair was? What difference did it make if they were of slight build or of larger build? It didn't it had no bearing whatsoever because I was in their minds, you right. know, like, like we were doing emotions and, and how they were experiencing life. And it didn't matter if they were tall or short or thin or fat or none of it. The only thing that mattered was that you understood that they were Ukrainian. And from there, you pick what they look like. It doesn't matter to me. And so I have to work really hard at the descriptive stuff in terms of helping people to see them and to see the setting that they're in because I'm so character driven that I forget that people also want a little on the edges. They want to know a little bit more about them. And so I have to really work hard at, at exploring that in my mind. It's like, okay, so how do I picture them? Oh, well, yeah. Okay. That's what they look like. But in my mind, it's like, I already know there's no reason to, to go into that. It doesn't matter. You know, <laughs> that doesn't contribute to the larger context of it. Right, right. It, it didn't, it, the only thing that really mattered was that you knew they were women because of the things they were experiencing and that you knew that they were Ukrainian because of the things they were experiencing and everything else was kind of like, yeah, 
I mean, you knew the grandmother was older than her daughter who was older than her daughter, but you didn't necessarily have specific ages. Right. You know, and they're there if you want to do the calculations, you know, but it's not, it isn't, I didn't state, and at 36 years old, when she weighed, you know, (laughs) when she weighed 127 pounds, I mean, you know, that's not, it just isn't the way I do it, so. Right. I'm like you because I don't like doing all that type of stuff because when you get that descriptive, you strip away context. I, you know, when I'm reading, I skim through that. So if yeah, someone have, if someone has written and you know they're going on and on about the wallpaper, the color of the curtains, and da 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 da, I'm just like flipping pages, flip 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 until we get back to characters. Um, inevitably, I I miss something. You know, there was right. some piece I was supposed to know about the curtains that I missed because I was just skimming through. But I really enjoy character. Exactly. And if you're going to give me setting, it needs to be done in a way that, that the story still flows and I don't feel like I got bogged down in it. So. Right. And I, and I prefer sparse setting because I mean, if I got to describe a whole room to people, to me, for me, the, for the way that I write, that's too much. Yeah. Yeah, I tend I tend to pick like like something that that needs to be described because it's going to be very instrumental in the story. But everything else, you're going to have to kind of go with your own mind as to, you know, when I say that it was a a sparsely furnished apartment, you do with that whatever you need. Whatever you will. Yeah. (laughs) Imagine imagine what that looks like. And that's your that's your that's your that's your picture. Right, because I'm not going to give you a list of things that were in the sparsely furnished oh, point, no. you know. So, yeah, I think you and I probably have very similar writing styles that way. So, I, I, I can't. For me, that's just—it's just a waste of words. But you know, but friends. but what's interesting is there are a lot of readers who really enjoy that. Right. But and so that's the lovely thing too about um, you know being an author and and finding people who enjoy what you write. And those people who pick up my book and say, eh, it's really not for me, fine, put it down and go find something that is. There are so many authors out there and so many genres and so many amazing books. You know, don't don't continue reading one that isn't for you. You know, if you picked something up and it just isn't working for you, it's okay to put it down. Put it down and go find something that does work for you. And if I'm not your author, go find one that is because... Boy, there are so many different ways to write and so many different ways to enjoy reading that that you're going to find a good fit out there. So. Exactly, exactly. Because I know for me, I've been told, well, that ain't my cup of tea. Okay. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, when I, when I find a book that isn't my cup of tea, very rarely do I feel like it's a bad book. Right. I just feel like it's a bad fit. Exactly. You know, I didn't do a good job choosing a book for myself this book (laughs) this book just didn't you know and a lot of times that happens like if i'm in a book club and someone else picked the book and now i'm reading it and i think yeah i would have never picked this one up on my own you know and it wasn't a good fit for me and that's okay you know i think it's perfectly okay to say this book is not a good fit for me and move on you know and i think people Try to think that bad book and bad fit are synonymous. Synonymous. No, the book ain't bad. It's just, it's just a it, the person who wrote it 
not bad. It's just it's probably not your cup of tea at the moment. Yeah, it's just different. And sometimes it isn't even the book, but maybe like where you are in life. You oh, know, yeah. like like right now with my husband ill with brain cancer, I don't want to read a book about someone who dies with brain cancer. Exactly. Okay, like that's not going to be a book that I want to read. And yeah, so if if I, if I pick up a book and start reading and I find out, oh, that's what where we're going with this, I'm not going to read the book. But it doesn't have anything to do with the book. It has everything to do with me, right? right? And so I think that's true. Sometimes you read a book when you're younger and you haven't had life experiences and that book just doesn't touch you and you pick it up 20 years later and you think, why didn't I love that book? That was amazing. And it's because your life experiences have changed, you know? And so, yeah, yeah. I just, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in, you know, find the books that, that just, you know, send you and read them. You know? I love that. I love that. So what advice could you give for any aspiring author? Yes. Oh, yeah, I got great advice. So I have I have I have four things that I tell people. And the first one is is if you want to be a writer, then start writing. Like don't yeah. wait for a particular time, don't wait for a class, don't wait for some kind of of letters behind your name, don't wait, write. Because you don't get better writing by thinking about it. Like that that never is going to happen. And you're not even going to get better at writing by taking a class. You only get better at writing by actually writing. And then the second thing is, is once you've written something that you feel has some merit to it, let someone read it and then listen to what they have to say. Like, don't get defensive, like really listen to what they have to say, because you're not going to get better at writing by continuing to do the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. It's like playing tennis. If you serve into the net and you serve into the net and you serve into the net and you never listen to anyone about how to get it up over the net, you're not getting any better. You're practicing wrong over and over. So, you know, listen to what, what someone else has to say. The third thing almost sounds like I'm contradicting myself, but it's you don't have to listen to everyone. Because some people are going to give you advice that doesn't fit who you are as a writer or doesn't fit what you're trying to get across to your audience. Mm -hmm. And so it's okay to say, well, I gave that a shot. It doesn't work for me. (laughs) You know, that's okay. That's, you know, I've done that. I tried being a a plotter. It's bad for me that my everything is stilted and awful and it it doesn't work for me. And, And it's okay for me to say, I tried it and I'm glad that it works for some people, but it doesn't work for me and I can move on from that now. And then the last thing I tell authors is something that I learned when I put sunflowers beneath the snow out. um, I didn't know anything about marketing. And on the day the book came out, I opened up Amazon and I waited for my book to sell and, and it didn't. And I was, why doesn't it selling? I, I, I put it on Amazon and so as an author, you have to be willing to get out there and, and kind of, you know, essentially dance on the table with your book, right? And let people know, here it is. And, and that's marketing. And so don't wait. You need to start thinking about marketing at the same point that you're really getting that book ready to, to go out into the world and start that beforehand. You know, don't, don't wait like I did. I waited and, and it's okay. I, I figured out, I caught up. It took a lot of work, but 
the second book is doing so much better now because I knew what I do some things to do. I knew to start teasing people with the cover and the title and the and the back of the book blurb and all of the things before it came out so that when it came out, people were excited and ready to, to buy it. So those are my my pieces of advice. Wise words indeed. Look, and I, and I tell y'all, and they look. I'm gonna tell y'all if if y'all if nobody if any aspiring authors are listening listening or watching this right now, please take heed to these words because they are words of wisdom for someone who's experienced that from both ends of the spectrum, experienced success and have also experienced experienced failure as a writer. Because trust me, we, we us as writers and authors. We do this to varying degrees of success and failure, you know, and and then sometimes success and failure are equal. Then you got one more than the other, then and, and vice versa. So, and I know for me, and I know for Miss Terry, we I mean we we don't do this just because like for me is the for me is no longer a hobby. You know, it used to be a thing that I used to it used to be a thing I used to do as a kid in high school, and then in my early in my twenties, just because I was quote unquote good at it. But now it's like it's something I take very very serious because, you know, for Miss Terry to have a couple of books out, and then and for other authors who have books out and things of that nature, this is kind of, this is what they this is what we do. It's you, who I am. It's, oh. it's, it's, yeah, it's who I've become. Yep. And yeah, so I now, I now identify as an author. I mean, that's, that's what I do. And writing is serious to me. So yep. yeah. we are very serious about when we create these characters and we create these worlds or we insert these characters in these worlds that we've crafted for them. That's, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's an investment of time. A lot, a lot of emotion. I was gonna say a lot of energy and emotion. A lot of, yep. a lot of ourselves. Yeah, you know. And, we, and, and I've said this on more than one occasion. Our life experiences and our emotions bleed on the page as we write. Yeah. When you read a book from from any author, you're gonna get you're gonna get a little bit. You're gonna get a glimpse of who they who this person is, not only as a person but also you probably get a small glimpse of who you know their emotional state as they wrote it or exactly. where they were as they wrote it. Exactly. So, I always tell people that my characters have either what I'm feeling, what I've felt in the past, or what I wish that I had done or felt like, like the alternative ending to something that, that oh, I wasn't yeah. able to experience. You know, there's, there's all of that there and every character I write has a piece of me in it. Yeah. Every single yeah. one. So those words, those words bleed out our emotions, our feelings, though they bleed on the page. And when we craft these worlds and we create these characters, we it's our hope and our prayer that when someone opens that book and read and they read they read this book, they read the books that we've crafted that we so lovingly crafted, you know, that not only are they entertained by it, not only did sometimes most entertained and edified and educated, but also, you know. They take they take something away from it. You know, my thing is I always want to leave people take have something somebody take away from what I've written because 
it's important to me that so that people understand not where I am when I wrote it, but understand the overlying the overlying moral the overlying moral of the story that I put together. Yeah, yeah. Like like what what do you hope they get from it when then when they walk away? Yeah. You know, and sometimes I don't even know that it necessarily needs to be the thing that I hope they got from it, but I want all of my readers to walk away with something. Exactly. You know, because if they walk yeah, away with something, if it touched them in some way, made them think something they wouldn't have thought otherwise, made them made them wonder or contemplate in some way, then I feel like I've done my job as an author. Mission accomplished. Yeah. I, we're we're on the same page. If I Wonderful. can touch you and you can walk away with that feeling, mission accomplished. Exactly. Exactly. Miss Terry, I have, I have enjoyed this particular. I've enjoyed this conversation with you. Thank um, you. I've enjoyed uh, I've enjoyed talking with you as well. We'll have to do this again. Oh yeah, we will. We will. But before but before you go, I do want you to do me do me one solid thing. I want okay. I want you to read. I want you to introduce yourself to our to our viewers and our listeners. Tell us tell us who you are, um, the books that you have out, and also where they can find you on social media. All right. So I'm Terry M. Brown, and I am a relatively new author. My debut novel, Sunflowers Beneath the Snow, came out one year ago. And my second novel, An Enemy Like Me, came out last month. And the best way to get up with me on social media, I'm, I'm out there with my name, Terry M. Brown. And I always have the M in there and it's Terry with one R. But the best way to find me is to go to my website, which is terrymbrown.com. And then I have all the little social media links right at the top and you can just click them. I'm on everything. I'm on Instagram and TikTok, Facebook, LinkedIn. Um, oh, I'm on all Twitter. Um, I have a YouTube channel, so I'm really out there. So just, you know, go to my website. I'd love for you to sign up for my newsletter. Um, I usually send out a newsletter twice a month and kind of keep you up with like, what am I reading and what am I currently writing and, and, and whatnot. And I do a lot of interacting. And if you just have questions, I have a, a contact page. Shoot me an email and just say, hey, Terry, what's up? I have this question or I'm wondering about this character or I have a question about writing or about books or I don't even like something that you and you and Frederick were talking and I disagree with you. Tell me about it. I love to talk books. So just reach out. Hey, that's what that's what's up, y'all. That's what's up. And just to let you guys know, so Miss Terry has two books that are currently that are currently out. Right. One of them is an enemy like me. Which launched January, which launched January twenty fourth. Actually, it launched a month ago. And she, this is look. I'm gonna tell y'all right now. So this is gonna be a good story for anybody to read. It says it's the characters are gonna be very compelling, and I think they're gonna be very relatable to to anybody, to anyone who's anyone who reads this book. Uh, she also has some. She also has sunflowers beneath the snow, which came out last this past, which came out last January. So both, so check out those both of those books. Now, are those are these both of these books on Amazon or yes. they're, okay? They're both on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Pretty much, if you can find where a book is sold, you'll find them. There you go. So anywhere, anywhere books are sold, you will you're more likely find both of these books. Um, I highly suggest that you know if if you if you are historical fiction, if you are a historic a fan of historical fiction. If you like to read about historical fiction, I strongly suggest that you get a hold of both of these two books. 
I think and I do believe I, I strongly believe that you will be thoroughly entertained and you will enjoy these books. And I think you'll walk away with something that that's related, that's relatable to you. Also, like you, like she mentioned before, like she said before, check her out on our website. I just put it up there, www.terrymbrown.com. You can read, you can you can check, you can reach her social media links on there. If you want to talk, you want to have a get a talk with her, by most by all means do that. She also has a newsletter which comes out, you said twice, what twice a month? Twice a month. month. Twice, twice a month. month. So make sure you make sure when you go to her website, sign up for that lose the newsletter, and you will get that newsletter. So and and just don't be a stranger, just come in and say hi and just you know, just say, hey, I, I read, I picked up your book. I loved it. Um, the one thing I will say, and I know, uh, and I know Terry will probably will most, will most likely agree with me with this one. Look, look, guys, I can't stress this part of it enough. If you do happen to pick up this book, whether it's an ebook form or whether it's a paperback, whatever, whichever form you pick this book up in, do me, do me a favor. And please leave a review. Oh, I agree. Wow. That's, you know, that's something that, that really, really matters because if they review it, then other people see that review and, and it helps them make a decision as to whether they want the book. So I agree. Thank you, Frederick. Yes, indeed. And, and in addition to that, reviews help us as authors become better writers. Exactly. And for me, it doesn't matter whether it's a, whether it's a five-star review or a one-star review, whether it's, like a lot of great comments and accolades or whether it was just somebody just saying, but I don't like the book. It is poorly written and things of that nature. Reviews in what for, whether negative or positive, help us as writers, help us become better writers, which also helps us create, create, create better content. Exactly. For you, for you, for you, the readers. So do, so do me that solid. If you, if you do happen to grab the book, please, by all means, don't just don't just grab the book. Grab the book, read it, and leave a review. It's it's important for us as authors. You know, it may not it may not it may not mean anything to you as a reader, but I know for me, reviews are like currency to me. Whether they're good, bad, or indifferent, I read I read all my reviews, regardless of what they are. And then we we make adjustments to our we don't make adjustments to our writing style, but we but those reviews help us to improve on what's all what's already what's already been established. So that way, more books more books can come to you with with better with better content with more with even better with even more developed characters and things of that nature. Just just do me a favor. It it I know I know from this area it would mean a lot. To, it would be the world to her if you do if you do purchase a book and you do leave a review because. What we do is it hey, what we do ain't rocket science, but it's not easy either. <laughs> it, it takes a lot of time to craft a book. And then, like she said, I'm like her. My characters talk to me too. So I'll be wondering, do I need to be medicated or what? Nah, it's just my characters talking to me. Yeah. We'll pick, we'll sort that out in a minute. <laughs> But Terry, thank you so very much for being on. Thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm sorry that we kind of got messed up in the beginning, but I'm glad I was able to get on here and have a chat. Yes, ma'am. I thank you so very much for being here and just having this conversation with me about your books, but also just having a conversation as it pertains to us as human beings. 
human beings, period, because there's nothing, there's nothing, there's differences with us, but those differences make us more similar than they do different. Yeah, I think that the differences is what what helps us kind of stand apart and, and be who we are. But it's the similarities that that kind of help the world go round, you know, and I just I love I love being able to have these kinds of discussions. So thank you so much for having me on. You are very welcome. Bob. You are very welcome. So and we most we're most definitely going to do this again because I want to because I do want to talk to you about your first book. Uh, Super. Do want to most definitely talk to you about your first book. So we, so I'll most definitely get in contact with you about that one. So fantastic! I look forward to it. Yes, ma'am. You have a well, you have a wonderful night. Okay. Okay. You too. Bye now. All right. Bye now. Ladies and gentlemen, that is Terry Brown, author extraordinaire. Look, go check, go check out her books. Uh, Enemy like me, and let me make sure I get the other one correct. The enemy like me. And Sunflowers Beneath the Snow, both are on Amazon right now. Go get those books right now, y'all. And do me a favor, leave a review for her because, like I said before, reviews make reviews help us as authors, help us develop as authors, help us become better authors. Um, also, go check out her website at www.terryandbrown.com. She does, she, she, she puts out a newsletter. What you guys get, get. Get to the website you guys can sign up for her newsletter you can get get that newsletter in your email and then check her out on all the social media platforms so ladies and gentlemen ladies and gentlemen before i conclude this particular broadcast man i i have a surprise for y'all so i was a little i was supposed to, i want i want to do this when i want to do this wednesday but i was struggle streaming and yeah, it would have came out great. So with that being said, I want y'all to watch out. This is I'm, I am premiering this particular video. Uh, now, it's not a video video as you would think it would be. It's, it is, there is a song, but it also has um, your pictures attached to it. So and this was a this was an experiment of mine to see if I could actually um, still write a song and stuff like that. And if I, it, it was an experiment of mine. So um, I think it, I think it turned out great. It'll be, it'll be up for the listeners and viewers to determine if it did or if it was or was not. So before I even jump into this right now, man, is I do want to give credit. Where credit is due, um, the track um, is called the track that the track that I'm doing this off of is called a song called "Lunchtime Chill" by um, by yeah by Yon Hunter Jr. Um, so he so I'm most definitely giving you giving him the credit. You most definitely most definitely shouted him out because he's the guy. He's the gentleman that made the track. Uh, big shout out to Yon Hunter Jr. Um, if you guys if you guys want if you guys want to check him out, he is actually. On Instagram at Yar Hunter Jr. Um, got a lot, got a lot of nice things. Got he has a lot of nice things going on. Um, got a collab. He had, did a collaboration with Jay with Jay Moss, um, and then it was a wonderful collaboration. So, what I want to introduce to you guys, and what I want to premiere for you guys, the name of the song is called Real Talk. I am the writer, and I'm also the performer. So. Without any further delay, and again, you know, I want you guys to be want you guys to be the judge of what it is that you see and what it is that you hear. 
Um, I think that it's relatable in the time the times that we're living in right now. But again, you I want you guys to be the judge of that. So without any further delay, guys, here is the premiere of Real Talk by yours truly. That's honey. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mr. Angry Man is back. I'm back. That's right. Y'all ain't know that I can rock like that. Y'all ain't know that I can rock like that. Nah, nah. Y'all ain't know that I can rock like that. Y'all ain't know that I can rock like that. Yeah, yes. Y'all ain't know that I can rock like that. Y'all ain't know that I can rock like that. Uh huh. Y'all ain't know that I can rock like that. United we fall, divided we rise. That's all they ever see when they look in our eyes. I ain't the least bit surprised. And I don't even ask why I study. Looking for love and all we get is despise. They proper lying. What? Meaning they falsely prophesying. Talking about we really living, but we steadily dying. Tired of mothers crying. And fathers silently raging. There's gotta be a way to escape this situation. Yeah. Yeah. Which released um, 
which released January 24th, which is a month ago. And also some, and also her second book, which is Sunflowers Beneath the Snow. Both these books are historical fiction. Um, you can go check those books out at Amazon.com and anywhere else where there where, where books are published, where books are published and or sold. Um, you can also check out her website at www.terryandbrown.com and check her out on all her various social media platforms. Um, I want to thank everybody for listening to for for me for tuning into this, tuning into us tonight. Um, again, as I as I stated earlier, man, follow us on our various social media platforms: LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, um, Instagram. We're also on Twitch. Um, we're also we also have, we're also on Twitch. Uh, Patreon and link and Linktree pages are coming very soon. Um, and also, we're on check out our YouTube channel as well, man. We are on the road to 100 subscribers, so it would so it would so please do me a favor, go to Trailblazers 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 Radio, that's Trailblazers with a Z, Radio, and go check out our YouTube page uh, and subscribe to the channel. But only subscribe to the channel if if the content is relatable to you. Uh, don't necessarily don't want you subscribing to something that the content isn't relatable to you. So only subscribe if you feel the content is relatable to you. Also, do me a favor, follow, follow my follow my beautiful host, Quint Jones, Coco Fitted, and also Latanya Harris Good on their various social media sites. Um on their various social media sites. We are a podcast platform that brought that brought that that broadcast shows that broadcast shows weekly, uh Monday through Monday through Friday, and occasional pop-up shows. On Saturdays and Sundays, um, with the with, with the schedule as follows: My life has destiny. My life has a destiny podcast on Mondays and Thursdays. Girl talk, girl. Girl talk Tuesdays with LHG on Tuesdays. Any varying type of show with me on Wednesdays, um, and then then and then. The Office Alley or any type any other variety show that I do on Friday on Fridays, as well as critical conversations, bring it up the rear, closing our week out on closing our week out on Sat or or Saturdays. Um we most definitely appreciate everything that you guys, everything that you guys do by supporting us. We most definitely we most definitely love you guys to life, and there's nothing you can do about that. Um as I stated earlier, man, there my, my our sister Coco Fenty needs our help, needs needs our and need needs our and your help. Uh, she is. We're doing a GoFundMe, and I put it I put it up on the screen for you guys to take a look at. There's a GoFundMe page. There's a GoFundMe page that is that's up and active right now. Um, we're looking to we're looking to raise money to help Coco. We're looking money looking to help money to raise help Coco improve her quality of life. This is a treat. This is a much needed treatment that isn't covered by insurance. And we want to do our best to help her improve her quality of life. Um, no amount is too small. No amount is too small. And if you can't support monetarily, by all means support by just support by spreading the word. Talk to people to talk to people in your in your particular circle of influence. Uh, let them know, let them know about this GoFundMe site. Let them know that let them know that this is. Of our beloved sister and she and she needs our help. Um, 
no, this is not, no, and I'm going to let you guys know up front, no, this is not a scam. This is a real thing. Our system does need this much needed treatment, and insurance doesn't cover it. So we want to do, do everything that we can to try to help our system's quality of life. Last but most and last but most certainly not least, and this is not the last but most certainly not least. I want everybody to continue to. I want you, if you guys are listening to this or you are watching this on uh, whatever platforms that you are watching it on or listening it, listening to it on, please keep uh, the families of Chris Reese, Joshua Butler, Deshaun DeVos, as well as as well as other as well as other people, other people who have lost. Other families who have lost loved ones to violence in your thoughts and in your prayers um, as they go through this, as they go through this particularly difficult time. Um, this is a time to where all these families are hurting. And your prayers, your prayers of love and support will help will help them in the long in the long run. Um, it will also help to help them in the current and in the long run. So please keep these families, keep all the families in your prayers. Um, with that being said, that concludes this episode of The Office Alley with me, Frederick Beatty, your host. Um, three things that I always say as we as we conclude, as, as we always, as I close my show, as we close the show. Number one, take care of each other. Number two, love on each other. And last but not least, number three, it is a very, very crazy-ass world that we live in right now. So please, first, above everything that I just mentioned, be safe out there. Be safe out there, y'all. Thank you guys for tuning in. We love y'all to life. Gonna, gonna close you guys out with a gonna close you guys out with a commercial for, for a commercial with my sis LHG talking about her paparazzi line polished on purpose. Have a good night, y'all. Hello everybody, this is LHG. I am just coming to let you know that I am an independent paparazzi jewelry consultant. You didn't know that, did you? Well, now you know. So I would love to be your personal jewelry lady. Paparazzi is an amazing company. We sell nickel and lead free jewelry. We are known for our $5 bling, but you just need to know there is an exclusive Z collection that's $25. It's the bling of all bling. When you're really going out from the town and you want to show up absolutely fabulous. So we have items for women, for men, and for young fashionistas out there. We don't discriminate. If you need it, I'm sure we got it. You have the opportunity to follow my page on Facebook called Polished on Purpose, a VIP group. Follow my personal page, which kind of here is good. And I have my own website that is at your disposal 24-7. So many ways to shop. So let me be the one that makes sure you are accessorized the way you should be. Because I want you to be published on purpose. My mentor always tells me, when you show up, people are checking you out. They're watching you. So why not be polished, be poised, be purposeful? Glam it up with pop, honey. I got what you need.